Well, if you uh, fast forward from that Exodus story that we just saw that short clip on uh, here today, if you fast forward that to uh, us in in modern day times to today, we still realize that identity matters. Identity matters a lot. It's actually why people spend a lot of time and even sometimes spend a lot of money trying to figure out who they are and, and discovering more about their identity and oftentimes do so in all kinds of wrong places, looking in different places where they actually won't necessarily find their true identity. It's also why uh, our governments uh, put a lot of fancy pictures and security details on passports and driver's license and other identification pieces in order to protect our identity, with also with two resulting ironies. One of those being is that identity theft is one of the most common and growing crimes that we see happening today. And secondly, more Canadian women than ever are complaining about their passport photos. Um, because you're not allowed to smile or even try to look good. At least that's what I hear in my household with my girls. They don't, none of them like their pictures. I think men don't seem to mind quite as much. But thankfully, identity theft is something that is actually not literally possible. And you need to hear that. Identity theft actually is not literally possible. Somebody can steal some part of your possession. Somebody can steal your credit card number and steal your driver's license number or even steal your passport in order to commit a crime or another, but they can't actually take your identity. But it does raise the question of whether or not we know our true identity. It does raise the question of whether we truly understand whose we are and what our identity really is rooted in. The real person, the real us, the one that cannot be stolen by online hackers. And thankfully, God gives us an identity whose security goes well beyond software. We want to look at that today, about where our identity is found. And we look at that by starting with understanding the people of Israel and understanding the story that we see in Scripture and part of this spiritual heritage that we are a part of. How do we understand the identity question when it comes to the people of Israel? And why does it matter to us? Who were they as a covenant people? What does it even mean to be a covenant people? And hopefully today we'll see that it's important for us to understand some of the relationship between these people and their God and also how it translates forward to us today also as covenant people and our identity in Christ. Because as I said, this history that we're looking at is also part of our spiritual history. And we'll see that today. So last week we started into this series in Deuteronomy called The Gospel According to Moses and uh, wanting to take on this big task of stepping into this wonderful book of Deuteronomy and to understand more of its depths and understand more of what's happening here in this text and the relevance that it has for us today. And we see and we talked a little bit last week about how God is forming his people in their identity. Egypt had... When the people were in Egypt, they had no rights, they had no identity, they had no freedom. They were simply known as slaves and workhorses. They did not know themselves at all as children of God. And it's really only in the Exodus that that God begins to shape and form their identity, and it's that Exodus story that is the the catalyst for that, and it's this identity-forming experience, this salvation piece of the people of Israel that begins to shape their identity as the people of God. And we looked last week at at how now 
40 years later from that Exodus account, how Moses is now standing with these people on the plains uh, just east of the Jordan River and is giving them these reminders in Deuteronomy. He's telling them their history. He's wanting them to understand all of this that happened in the past because it is so rooted in their identity and they have to know it and understand it. And last week, we talked about the character of God and how he pointed to the character of God when they walked in fear. And he said how your God is a a divine warrior. Your God is a divine guide who goes ahead of you and your God is a divine father who cares for you. And so he's reminding them, preparing them, giving them, wanting to give them courage and faith to step into the promised land, to embrace and receive this gift that God has already given to them. They just need to now claim it. But how there's going to be battles ahead, challenges ahead, all kinds of obstacles ahead, things that will cause fear and doubt and all of these things and how Moses is reminding them of this history and some of what happened. We also think about this text, maybe as some commentators have made mention, that it's like the longest farewell speech in history. Because here's Moses who's preparing his people for when he will no longer be with them. Because of his own sin and the judgment that is there on his actions, he too is not able to enter into the promised land. And so he's preparing them for that day when he will die and that day when they will not have him as their leader. And he's preparing them to look to God himself, not to any human leaders, even though he's preparing them for Joshua. But he's he's preparing them to not just be dependent on Moses or Joshua or any human leader, but how do you look to God himself as a people? But we know from last week and what we talked about last week that disobedience was so much part of their story. As they came to Kadesh Barnea, this gateway to the promised land, early on in their journey, only a couple of years into their journey, and how God had told them to go up into the land, and how they had sent out scouts, and ten came back and said, no, 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 there's massive giants there, and there's just problems there, and how two came back and said, no, no, we can take this land, there's incredible things that are there as gifts from God, that, and we can trust God to go into this land, no matter what the obstacles were. And that was Caleb and Joshua. And how the people shrunk back in their tents and they listened to the ten who doubted and feared and they didn't go up. They didn't go in. And they just cowered in their tents, it said, and they had fear. And then there was disobedience and consequences for their sin and their disobedience. And it was said how every single person in that generation died off. Not one person from that generation would go into the promised land and get this gift And this blessing that God had promised them. Except Caleb and Joshua. The two who believed. The two who said, no, no, we can do this. We can trust God. So that's what we we looked at last week. And time doesn't allow us uh, to look at each chapter in this book. uh, In this extensive material that is here. But today we want to primarily look at chapter 4. And I encourage you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. But I want to quickly bridge a few things from chapter 1 to chapter 4. Because... There are some important things for us to understand, and we'll just do that really briefly and really quickly. We left off in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 1 last week, where, again, Moses is recounting this story, and he's reminding them of their disobedience and the consequences of that. And it says in 2, verse 1, Then we turned around, and we headed back across the wilderness towards the Red Sea, just as the Lord had instructed me. And we wandered around in the region of Mount Seir for a long time. 13,880 days. 38 more years. 
Their disobedience cost them. They turned around and they were sent back in the opposite direction. But then we read right after that in verse 2 and following in in chapter 2, we read this idea where God finally says, it is time. He says, it's time. You've been wandering long enough after these 38 years. It's time. It's time to head north. It's time to head up into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy 2, verse 7, it says this, For the Lord your God has blessed you in everything that you have done. He has watched your every step through this great wilderness. And during these 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have lacked nothing. So again, it speaks to the faithfulness of God and how God has cared for them even in this wilderness wandering, even in this generation dying off and not being able to enter into the next phase. As you continue reading, you see uh, that God has them... uh, bypass certain regions uh, next. And he says, no, don't go in these regions. These are some of your relatives. I want you to bypass uh, some of these regions and not not go near them uh, in one way or another. And I was thinking I could make a really bad out-of-context application here about family reunions and how we're supposed to avoid those. But I don't think that that's what he's saying. Um, But then in 2.14, he says that we finally come to this Zerod Brook. Zerod Brook. And in 2.14, he says it this way, 38 years passed from the time we first left Kadesh Barnea until we finally crossed the Zered Brook. By then, all the men old enough to fight in battle had died in the wilderness, as the Lord had vowed would happen. And the Lord struck them down until they had all been eliminated from the community. And so this promise that God had given because of their disobedience came to pass. And Moses is declaring this and stating this in front of the people. And he says, it happened just as God said it would happen. Every one of that generation died off. Everyone who was in the age of fighting had died off. And now your children are going to be the ones who actually enter into the promised land. And so it speaks to the truth of God fulfilling his promises. And only Joshua and Caleb will go in. And then as you continue reading, it talks about in chapter 3 how God goes ahead as the warrior and fights their battles and helps them to take this land. And it gives these accounts in chapter 3 that are really hard for us to reconcile. And we're going to be talking about this in the weeks ahead and as we go through Deuteronomy. But I, I want to touch on this here today as well. Because it's this, uh, the truth of how they go into this land and they wipe out the people that are there. It says how all of the men, women, and children are killed as they take this land. And it's so hard for us to reconcile. We think, how do we, how do we think of, of a God of love and grace and yet see this in the story of the people of Israel? How do we think about that? How is that part of God's plan? Entire villages wiped out. One commentator says that there are few issues in the Old Testament interpretation as difficult as this. It's like, isn't this genocide of the worst possible kind? How do we make sense of this? The same commentator, he lists nine factors, actually, for us to consider as we think of this difficult challenge and coming to grips with this. And... uh, Uh, we'll talk about more later on in the series, but I'll mention just a few here today. He says things like, well, God is creator. God is the one who created all things, created all people. God is sovereign. And so God can do as he pleases, which he also then says will satisfy few but hardcore Calvinists. But then he also says another way to look at it, another factor to consider is the, the idea that God's ways are a mystery and we will never fully understand God's ways, as it says in Isaiah 55. That God, your ways are higher than our ways. We don't understand and there's truth in that. Third factor he mentions is he says, according to the historical accounts, we see that these people were an absolute wicked people. And that this was part of God's judgment as well, that these wicked and perverse people 
We're not just the innocent people that sometimes we think of them as. And then the commentator goes on, he lists six more factors. But even so, he says, you know what? The reality is, is that none of these will satisfy everyone. And especially if you take them, any one of them, in isolation. But we have to come to this place of understanding that this is part of God's plan, even though it's difficult to comprehend and fully understand in this text. And then we come to chapter 4, the main focus of what we want to look at today. And it's interesting, right at the end of chapter 3, Moses even has this personal prayer of lament and this personal struggle and even pleading with God to go into the promised land. But then we come to chapter 4, which is sort of the height of this section. We've said that Deuteronomy is a series of sermons, and it's really three different sermons that happen. And in chapter 4, we see the end of the first one, sort of the culmination or the climax of the first sermon that he gives, and it's the height of that. So in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, he says this, And now, Israel, listen carefully to these decrees and regulations that I'm about to teach you. Obey them so that you may live, so that you may enter and occupy the land that the Lord, the God, your ancestors, is giving you. And do not add to or subtract from these commands I'm giving you. Just obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you. So again, Moses says, just obey. As we are about to enter into this land, you need to just obey. In 4 verse 6, he goes on and he says, Obey these completely and you will display your wisdom and intelligence among the surrounding nations. When they hear all these decrees, they will exclaim, How wise and prudent are the people of this great nation. That's an interesting one because he says, Even as you live out these commands and these people see that you are God's people, the people of surrounding nations will take notice and they will see that something is different about you. And if you remember back, and we talked a little bit last week about Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, where God says to Abraham, I want you to go, and I want you to take your family and go and become a great nation, and I want you to take the blessing of God to the nations and the families of the earth. So here, even in a sense, he's saying some of that is happening and will happen as the nations surrounding you will see that you are a different people called by God, living with his decrees, and they will notice. They'll, they'll say there's something different about your God that's different than ours. And then in 4 verse 9, he says, But watch out, be careful never to forget what you yourselves have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. And be sure to pass them on to your children and grandchildren. Never forget. Keep telling the story. Next week, Maureen is going to be speaking on chapter 6, which gets into this context so much more deeply about this discipleship within the family. But here Moses is again just saying, Don't ever forget. Keep telling the story. And so for every one of us, it it challenges us as well too. How often do we tell our story of faith? How often do we tell our story of how God rescued us? If you have children, do your children know that story? If you have grandchildren, do your grandchildren know your story? Do they understand how God has impacted your life and how God has been faithful? And even with the, the hard points and the struggles and the faith doubt issues that you've wrestled with, do they know that is part of your story? And Moses is reminding these people we need to keep telling the story so that we will never forget what God has done. And then in verse 11 to 14, he continues on and identifies them as these covenant people. He says, You came near and stood at the front of the mountain while flames from the mountain shot into the sky. The mountain was shrouded in black clouds and deep darkness. And the Lord spoke to you from the heart of the fire and you heard the sounds of his words but didn't see his form. There was only a voice. And he proclaimed his covenant the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to keep and which he wrote on two stone tablets, 
It was at that time that the Lord commanded me to teach you his decrees and regulations so that you would obey them in the land that you were about to enter and occupy. 27 times in the book of Deuteronomy is that word covenant used. And three times here in this section, and this is the first place where we're introduced to that word where Moses is reminding them that you are a covenant people. And the word that that originates from in the Hebrew means something to the effect of betweenness. That there is something, there's a betweenness that is happening here between two parties. And, and a further explanation of that in the Hebrew culture, was, part of it was to eat bread together. That it was actually about a covenant meal, that it identified this betweenness piece. If you think about a contract, a contract is different than a covenant. A contract is something that you establish with somebody and it's for a set period of time and it only involves part of a person. You bring a certain skill, you bring a certain task at hand, and you give part of yourself to the task in this contract. A covenant is different. A covenant does not have an end date. A covenant is ongoing. A covenant is eternal. A covenant is something that continues on. And a covenant involves all of you. It involves every part of you, every aspect of you. So here Moses points again to the Ten Commandments, which are listed again in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy if you look at the next chapter. And listed there of these commandments that were first given and read about in, in, the, in the book of Exodus. But now he gives them again. And it starts off in Deuteronomy 5, 6 where it says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. I am the Lord your God. And this idea of relationship is established here in this covenant. And how... As a people of God, that God has given them guidelines, that God has given them ten principles of covenant relationship, ten ways of, of just how to live and how to be in relationship with this living God. Because you see, when we love someone, when we have a deep relationship with someone, we have expectations of them, don't we? We even put boundaries in place. If you think, if you have children, when you love your children, you put boundaries in place. You have expectations in place. There are things that you expect because you love them. And in fact, the opposite would be neglect. If we have no expectations in place, if we put no boundaries in place, if we don't put anything in place to safeguard them or protect them, it's really a sign of neglect, which is very opposite of love. And so in a very similar way, these these commandments, these words that are given by God of how to live in relationship are given in order that these people know that they are a covenant people and that they know that God loves them. This is why I gave you these boundaries, these guidelines. Here's how to live with each other and before your God. The terms of the covenant are quite simple. God calls them to obey, and they will receive the blessings of God. But on the other hand, if they don't obey, there will be discipline. There are consequences. We've seen that already in this story. But the interesting thing is, is that it's not that the covenant then is done. It's that part of the covenant is that even in our discipline, it is an act and expression of love. In fact, Hebrews 12, 6 talks about that, that idea that God disciplines those he loves. Just like a parent disciplines a child because of your love. So the same is true here in this covenant where we realize and the people of Israel are told that, that they will receive this blessing because of the love of God, but also that they will receive discipline because of the love of God. Both come out of the love of God. God, a loving Father. But this is what marks them as a covenant people. This is their identity. 
So we need to understand that Israel's history begins and ends with God. And Deuteronomy gives us this comprehensive picture of this community of faith and the identity of them as a chosen people for a purpose. Warren Warren Wiersbe, he says it this way. He says, a generation without identity is like a person without a birth certificate, name, address, or a family. If we don't know our historic roots, we may become like tumbleweeds that are blown here and there and are never arriving at our destination. And this is so true. We need to understand our identity and where our identity is found, just like the people of Israel needed to understand that. And no other book gives us a more thorough treatment of this covenant relationship and this identity relationship as the book of Deuteronomy. As Moses again and again tells this story of what it means to be covenant people. We too are covenant people. We are New Testament, New Covenant people. And in a little while in our service, we will uh, celebrate at the Lord's table together as New Covenant people. Even as Jesus said, this is my New Covenant that I give to you. It's an identity piece for us as well. And even as a church, right in our mission statement, we say that our desire is to be a covenant community that loves God, disciples one another, and reaches out from the river to the ends of the earth. And that covenant community piece, first and foremost, is an identity piece. It's not just about how we live in community, but it's whose we are in community. It's about being these covenant people, that that is the first thing that marks us as a people of God. This identity piece that goes right back to what we're reading about here in Deuteronomy. And this truth that, as we come also to the New Testament, this truth that we are grafted in. If you read in, in Romans chapter 11, and I encourage you to turn to Romans 11, which speaks so much about how we understand this as we come into the New Testament, the story of, of the people of Israel in Deuteronomy, and now as we think about it in the New Testament. And, and here Paul is speaking to the, the people in Rome, and he's reminding them of their identity as new covenant people. And he's saying, you know, there are Jews, those who are the people of Israel, but there are also you Gentiles, those who are not part of the people of Israel, who have now been grafted in. And he says it this way, But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, have been broken off. And you Gentiles, who were branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. And he even goes on further on in that chapter, and he talks about the fact that even those from the people of Israel who have been broken off, if they choose to obey God and turn back to God, they will be grafted back in as well. What a celebration that'll be. So it's this truth that we too are covenant people. That we have an identity in God himself through this covenant as well. Remember we said that a a covenant was about being all in. It wasn't just requiring part of you, it was requiring all of you. As we just came through the Easter season and we are still in that Easter season now remembering and celebrating the implications of the resurrection. We know that God was all in. God was all in in Jesus Christ. Jesus who went to the cross and who died the most brutal death for our sins was all in. And so we have a God who models this, who isn't just sort of partly committed, but who is all in. And then Jesus invites us to be all in. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. And he doesn't say that it's necessarily going to be easy. But he says, my burden is light. If you come and draw in through the power of my Holy Spirit, I will guide you and sustain you and strengthen you and give you hope. And so the invitation for us as covenant people is continuously to be all in in that way. 
I want to read a section in Deuteronomy chapter 4 that I think is just such an amazing, beautiful section that Moses challenges his people with. And I don't have these slides. I don't want the words up. I want you to just even close your eyes and listen to these words that Moses reminds them of who God is and their history and their identity. Listen to these words. Deuteronomy 4, verse 32. Now search all of history from the time God created people on the earth until now. And search from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything as great as this ever been seen or heard before? Has any nation ever heard the voice of God speaking from fire as you did and survived? Has any other God dared to take a nation for himself out of another nation by means of trials, miraculous signs, wonders, war, a strong hand, a powerful arm, and terrifying acts? Yet that is what the Lord your God did for you in Egypt right before your eyes. He showed you these things so that you would know that the Lord is God and there is no other. He let you hear his voice from heaven so he could instruct you. He let you see his great fire here on earth so he could speak to you from it. Because he loved your ancestors, he chose to bless their descendants. And he personally brought you out of Egypt with a great display of power. And he drove out nations far greater than you so he could bring you in and give you their land as your special possession as it is today. So remember. So remember this and keep it firmly in mind. The Lord is God both in heaven and on earth. And there is no other. If you obey all the decrees and commands I'm giving you today, all will be well with you and your children. I'm giving you these instructions so that you will enjoy a long life in the land your Lord God is giving you for all time. What an amazing text of these people's identity in God himself. And what's so powerful as we approach the New Testament, we see so many texts that speak a similar language that declare some similar things. And I want to, again, just read and have you close your eyes and just listen to this text in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 9, where Paul speaks to these people and he says some very similar things about their identity and about their identity in Christ. He says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when in his own body in the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you, Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. What a beautiful picture of our identity in Jesus Christ. You know, the other day I was out for ice cream with our kids and Lisa and I were out with our kids and I saw this guy in the line in front of me and he had a short sleeve t-shirt arm and really big arms. And he had this tattoo on there and it just said, God's son. And I just thought, what a unique thing to identify yourself with. Just this truth and this reality that I am God's son. And we have all kinds of things that identify us. And we have all kinds of ID markers. You think of 
a passport. I just pulled out a few of mine. We have passports and things that identify us in one way or another, a social insurance number, a health card that gives us some rights and privileges, a pleasure craft operator card that lets you drive a boat, a business card that tells you something of yourself and what you do and so on. Oh, a Starbucks gold card that gets you some unique privileges. We have these different things that mark us, but my question for you today is what is it that identifies you? If somebody were to come and ask you, and and, in a really deep level, I mean, not just on a surface kind of first-time meeting, introductory level, but just ask you and say, "So, so who are you? Tell me a little bit about who are you? What would you say? And again, I know it's going to be different according to the context. But that's the question I want us to wrestle with today. And the point that Moses is making to these people is they, you need to understand your identity in order to move forward in faith. And the same is so true for us. We need to understand our identity in Jesus Christ in order to move forward in faith. As it says throughout the New Testament that you are loved, that you are chosen, that you are holy, you are without fault because of Jesus. And he still calls us to be all in. And to walk in faith and obedience because of what Christ has done. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truth that you are all in when it came to reconciling us to you. And we see that in the evidence of Jesus Christ on the cross, dying the most brutal death for our sin. And we see that in the resurrection and the empty tomb and the reality that we can now live with resurrection power. That that same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives within us. What an amazing truth. That we don't have to fear death because we know what lies beyond death. And that as we place our trust in you, that we will live with you forever. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to know more and more of what our identity is and that we would know whose we are. I pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.